How about that, folks? Wasn't that awesome? It is incredible to see, and we're so excited about Chase, and uh, uh, I know Cameron's excited. And just, uh, you never know what the Lord is doing in someone's life, when he's going to do it, and you just keep being faithful as a witness, as an example. And uh, when you have the opportunity, uh, you'll, you never know when a basic gospel conversation will yield eternal fruit. So don't be afraid to ask somebody, would you like to know Jesus? Would you like to know him as your Lord and Savior? Let me introduce you to Jesus. He's not complicated. He made, he made it easy for us. He became flesh. He came to us. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the dead and brought us victory. And he will do the saving part. We must do the yielding. I love that song that the choir just sang, and I'm still kind of a little bit tearful from it. But I love the, the, the image. Take me to the king. I don't have much to bring, but just take me to the king. And that's really the essence of this sermon is whether you feel like you're just a, you have five loaves and two fishes, our king can do amazing things with that, can he? You bring it to the king and trust him and see what God can do. We're in the middle of a series called Join the Journey. And it's really just looking at the spiritual path that I would love to see all of us on. Because I believe that if you're on this path, it will take you places you want to go. It will take you towards your greatest potential life in Christ. Living out your spiritual giftedness. Living a deeper Christian life. Knowing more of who God is. And when you know God better, you worship better. You love others better. And so on this spiritual path, we believe if you will work through this spiritual path. It just will keep all of us growing. And every single one of us needs to worship together. We talked about corporate worship. Then we need to connect to something smaller. We need a life group. And we have most of them on Sunday mornings. We have some throughout the week. We have them in all different age groups and all different types of uh, 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 life situations. If you're single or if you're uh, single moms, uh, whatever's going on in your life, you have, if, you'll, if you'll let us know, we can help you connect to a life group. But there's a third element to growing and becoming what God wants us to be. And I believe that is engaging our lives in serving the kingdom. The kingdom of God. Now we serve in our various capacities as parents, as leaders, as community leaders. We serve our neighbors in different ways. And all of that is incredibly important. And part of that overlaps for sure with serving the kingdom of God. But the Bible says that when you are saved, the Holy Spirit gives you spiritual giftedness. Super, uh, supernatural giftedness that when you engage those particular activities and strengths into kingdom activity, the Spirit will use that to build the body of Christ. Make all of us stronger. Common good. The common good of the body of Christ. And I want to read a story this morning uh, out of Luke chapter 5. You can turn in your Bibles there. I want to read a story out of Luke chapter 5 that I think shows this growth, growth process happen in the middle of a story. We're going to see someone surrender their lives to serving Christ with what they have, and then we're going to see them grow and move towards their greatest potential. And that's really what I want for you and what I want for myself. And we see God call the Apostle Peter, Andrew, James, and John, calling these fishermen and other disciples on a journey. And it wasn't just come worship me, 
It's not just being a small group and let's grow together. But if you will serve me, I will make you fishers of men. I'll make you something you're not yet. You are good at catching fish, but I'm going to turn you, if you'll keep serving me, into something of great potential. And you'll notice in Luke chapter 5, he's called Simon throughout, and we know that he's turning him into the rock. Peter. Simon Peter. God wants that for you and for me. He wants us to grow spiritually this journey, on this journey of following Christ together. So let's read. If you'll back up to Luke chapter 4, it's important that you know the context. He's just launched his ministry. He launched it officially in his hometown, Nazareth, and he read from the scroll of Isaiah, and he claimed to have this messianic role, and they ran him out of town, tried to kill him in his hometown. And then he went to a place called Capernaum and started doing some miracles. He did a miracle for a guy named Simon Peter. He healed his mother mother, uh, uh, in the home there, and begins to draw a crowd. He starts casting out demons, healing all sorts of diseases. And he's teaching about the kingdom, this new kingdom, a revolutionary kingdom. And then in verse 42, it says, And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place, and people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he needed some rest. And he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. I'm on a mission. I've got to keep moving on this revolution tour. For I was sent for this purpose, and he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And so the context of this calling of the disciples is Jesus preaching the arrival of the kingdom of God. But it was not just the arrival of the kingdom of God. He was redefining it. They had... They had Uh, a a twisted version of what the kingdom of God was supposed to look like in Israel. And the Messiah, when he came, not only had to say, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the kingdom of God is here, and the Messiah is here, but the kingdom is not exactly what you've been taught to think it is. It is not necessarily flesh and blood. It's going to be a spiritual kingdom. It's going to be a, a worldwide kingdom. It's going to include Gentiles in Gainesville. Amen? It's going to be a revolutionary kingdom. And then in verse 1, it says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, or the Sea of Galilee. And he he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon Peter's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. He's teaching the word. He's teaching about this new kingdom from Peter's boat. And when he had finished his sermon, his teaching, he looked at Simon, he said, hey, let's go out deep and let's put down your nets for a catch. Let's go fishing midday out in the deep. Simon knew that wasn't good fishing. And worse than that, Simon was bone tired. He'd been fishing all night. Look at verse 5. Master, we've toiled all night and we didn't catch a thing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. And their nets were breaking. They were catching fish at a time they shouldn't have caught fish in a place they shouldn't have caught fish. And not only were they catching fish, it was breaking their nets to the point that they needed a team. 
(laughs) They needed some partners, and they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, something had happened in this process of serving Jesus. He fell down at Jesus' knees and he said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also was the rest of the team, James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. Afraid of what? Afraid of me? I think, well, that might have been part of it, but I think afraid of what he had already heard Jesus challenging him to do. Take up your cross and follow me. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will be more than you imagined you would ever be. You'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that as we walk through this passage, uh, we could put ourselves into Peter's shoes, that we could hear the voice of our Savior, that the chains of fear that would keep us from full discipleship, true discipleship, those chains of fear would break. God, break the ones that hold me back, this pastor, and hold back people sitting in these chairs today we bring to you at the end of this message and the end of the day I pray that each of us will bring to you our five loaves and our two fishes take it King Jesus use it in your kingdom for your glory we ask in Jesus name amen how many of you would call yourself sort of history nerds Anybody want to join me? I'm a history kind of nerd. I mean, I don't read a lot, but I love to read American history in particular. I love biblical history, Christian history. But something about American history just fascinates me. I I just enjoy it. My favorite place to go over at Disney World is not. My favorite place is to go into the Hall of the Americas, you know, over at Epcot. I just love American history. And had opportunity recently to visit a, a spot I'd, I'd always wanted to visit, and that was where the revolution was birthed there in Boston, Massachusetts, and, and uh, was able to take a walking trail, a walking tour down the Freedom Trail. How many of you have been down the Freedom Trail in Boston? All right, and so you walk along the story of the revolution and how it began with... Uh, just the oppressive taxation without representation of the British Empire as the and, and these Boston, these Massachusetts colonists with these, this Puritan background and the pilgrims, they all were very democratic minded. They didn't like being told what to do by a monarch and as those so they begin to risk re- resist some of these things and and Britain overreacted to their resistance. To all of this and we ended up with things like the British massacre and I don't have time for a history lesson and I'm not really equipped to give you a history lesson but I think you know the the genesis of our nation if you went to school here or if you've studied it uh, for citizenship and and so 
it ended up with a Boston massacre, and, and there was a reaction to that. And then um, uh, the, the British sent troops over and ships, and, and um, there was the Battle of Lexington, the Battle of Concord, and the shot that was heard around the world. It started the American Revolution. But as I was visiting this place and thinking about this message, I realized that the revolution really uh, started in a town of about 15,000 people, and it changed the world. And it really, when you boiled it down, started with just a group of, just a few people who said, we got to do something about this. People like John Hancock and John Adams and Samuel Adams and all of these historical figures that we call our founding fathers. Many of them signed the Declaration of Independence. And these people came to a point of signing on the dotted line. And when they came to a point of serving for a new nation, a new kingdom, a new country, they had to step up and sign on the dotted line uh, willing to sacrifice life and fortune. And they did so. And you know, if you go back and read, they had no idea of the potential of this country. They could not have imagined 95,000 people in the swamp cheering guys in football helmets. They could not have imagined the military might, the, 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 uh, the place that our nation has taken in the world over the last couple of centuries. They, just, they couldn't have imagined their potential. But they stepped into the revelation and said, uh, give me liberty or give me death. They stepped forward. And it was neat to walk along that liberty trail. I felt like I was on hallowed ground, Right? Well, this text here is is similar hallowed ground, but for a much greater kingdom. This is the moment, really, where fishermen who could not have imagined billions of Christians, could not have imagined this church, could not have imagined the potential of their lives. They couldn't have imagined it. it was... They heard about the revolution. They heard the teaching of Jesus. They looked at him. They knew this is going to be risky. (laughs) This is going to be different. But we're going to sacrifice our lives and our fortune. They left everything. And they followed Christ. And the world has never been the same. And these were fishermen. People who were willing to listen to Jesus and follow him. And as I just want to encourage you out of this story that all of us need to serve the kingdom of Christ in our capacity. We don't know the ultimate ripple effect of our service. That's in the hands of God, but we know we're called to serve his kingdom and to serve it together. But I'm not going to leave the challenging part in the fine print. Let's look at it together because there are three things at least out of this passage that you need to know. Three truths you need to know about serving his kingdom together. And I think these gentlemen and and others in uh, Massachusetts understood 
They were tackling the greatest known military force in history. They knew, and George Washington and others said it, they said it, it will be a miracle. And it is a miracle that these fishermen <laughs> led to Christianity. It's a miracle. But here's some things you need to know. When we look at this story and we look at, look at uh, what Christ is calling them to do, serving in any capacity in your giftedness or ser- taking a, a step. And I'm not asking you to leave your fishing boats and, or, or to leave your jobs today. I'm just asking you to consider maybe God's got a place for me as a, to lead a Bible study or maybe he has a place for me to mentor uh, a college student. Maybe he's got a place for me to serve in our worship team. Maybe he wants me to be one of these greeters that joyfully welcome people in every day. Maybe he wants me to be someone who works and, and takes care of uh, 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 our, our little children in our nursery. Maybe someone wants to join uh, Cameron up there in the sound booth and help me sound good and look good. We need more of you. Any level of service is risky. It's risky. Notice the risk that he's calling Peter to. He says, Peter, I want you to go out in the deep where there could be storms or there could be all sorts of issues, and I want you to let down all of your nets. I want you to go all out, and then I want you to go all in. I want you to take some risks. And when Peter responded to him, he, I love this. Peter is very honest and very open. And in a nice way, I love that he starts it with master. So mass, verse 5, he says, Master, so you're in charge. I know this. I've listened to you teach at this point, and I'm, I'm going with you. I understand you're the master. But can I just remind you of a couple of things? We've toiled all night, we, all night when you're supposed to fish, and we toiled all night near the near uh, the coast where you're supposed to fish when we were supposed to, and we caught nothing but if you really want me to I'll let down the nets we don't even have a response from Jesus I just imagined it was a look okay I'll put the nets in alright here we go and they put the nets out at the wrong time in the wrong place and you know, this is a risk. Anytime you take a step of faith into service, you risk several things. Like Peter, you're going to risk fatigue. You're going to risk fatigue. To read those about that, those leaders in that American Revolution is to, is to uh, just wonder how they accomplished what they did with the exhaustion that they had. It's, it, someone wrote that it is tired people who rule the world. And that's so true. Tired people invent the stuff that we enjoy. Mostly tired people get things done. The well-rested often don't accomplish nearly as much as the tired. That's why he says don't grow weary in doing good. Just keep... Keep going, and, and you're going to risk fatigue. It, it may mean you have to get up on a Sunday morning. But I get up Monday through Friday. I know you might have to. You, you risk fatigue. 
Especially if you join the worship team, they get here early. Peter was risking fatigue. He was more than he already had. He said, we've been up all night. We're tired. Peter risked open failure. He could put down his nets out where everybody could see in the daylight, in the wrong place, at the wrong time, and other fishermen and people who were counting on him for the fish that he would catch would look at him, would see him fail again. That, would, that probably would tarnish his reputation a little bit. Well, has Peter lost his mind? Everybody knows he's risking potential humiliation. Peter risks frustration. Talk about humiliation. Occasionally, I'll pull out some of my early sermons. Occasionally, I'll listen to one of my recent sermons. I'm like, what? This is sometimes a humiliating exercise. You risk it every time you take a step and you sing a solo. You preach a sermon. You, you decide to lead a class. or you, you, you decide to have a gospel conversation with your neighbor. It is going to risk. You take a risk to serve God. You risk fatigue, failure, frustration, even financial hardship. It says his boats almost sank. His, his nets begin to tear. Tear. So all of these things presented a great risk to the Apostle Peter. But without risk, there's very little what? Reward. And so the call to serve the kingdom of God is a risky call. But if we don't take risks, there's not a reward. I mean, it was risky to play Alabama yesterday. I I was able to go to the game, and I sat down right beside an Alabama fan. And we were in the middle of the Florida section. Talk about risky. They came and sat in the middle of the Florida Gator fan, and some of the Gators around me weren't being very nice to them. I was compensating, though. I was trying to be super nice to them. But I did celebrate when we... And so it it was risky for them. It's risky to play... Alabama and uh, uh, the team worked hard and talk about a team they went out there and and uh, uh, almost won it was it was very exciting and I felt like at times I was part of the team if you were there it was the fifth largest in history it's the largest since 2015 they said on the on the largest crowd since 2015 and uh when, it, when we were on defense and the other team was trying to snap the ball, everybody started screaming, yelling. So even the 95,000 people, all at one time, we were all on the team together. And I don't know how the other team snapped the ball because they couldn't hear a thing. So even I joined the team for a moment. And then there's the kicker that missed the extra point. Now, let me just tell you, before you pick on our kicker, let me tell you, that guy has, he has worked hard to be on that team. And he was on the field. Who am I to sit there and complain about this young guy that has worked and worked and worked and had the courage? Can you imagine having to kick a field goal? I'm backing up, getting ready. Have to fix 
kick a field goal in front of 95,000 crazy people. Can you imagine having to do that? I just admire anybody who will get on the field and become a part of the team. Because it's easy to sit on the sidelines and complain. And so, working for the kingdom of God, serving is risky. No matter what it is, there's a level of risk. And when they were willing to risk together, these disciples, it made, the, the revolution became a reality. When they were willing to risk together, their potential was truly birthed. Serving his kingdom is risky. Second of all, serving his kingdom is rewarding. We saw the immediate rewards just in terms of the, uh, they just had a banner day fishing. And all of them came together and they filled their boats with fishing. And this may have been, who knows, weeks worth of income for them. We saw that there were some immediate rewards. Do you know that, that God promises some wonderful things for you as you serve? Can I just direct your attention to Hebrews chapter 6 for a second? Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. And let me give you the context of this verse before I read it. So these are Jews, and this is decades later after uh, Christ's resurrection. But they have given their all to follow Christ, and now they're facing some persecution. And some of them are starting to figure, maybe we shouldn't be a part of this team. Because the risks are growing, and we're facing some persecution. And so the writer of Hebrews, is, 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 he says, here's some truths you need to understand. Your risk will be rewarded. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your what? Your work. And the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints as you still do. You see what he's saying? He said, you're still serving, but I know you're struggling, and I know you're weary, and I know you don't see a lot of results right now, and maybe it's not coming together like you want it to be, uh, uh, maybe your group's not growing or is growing, but whatever it is, listen, as you're still serving, because you're serving, and notice what they're serving for. I love that the writer puts it this way. He says, the love that you have shown for the name of God, for, for the glory of God. You see, why they're serving is not just love for the saints, not just because I love my small group. Their ultimate motive is to bring glory to God because they love God. And he says, when you're serving me and my kingdom out of love for me and for my glory, and you're serving the saints with that, don't you ever, don't ever think it's going unnoticed by God. He will not overlook your work. Why will he not overlook your work? Because he is just. He is just. God is not unjust to overlook your work. And the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. Verse 11 says, As we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. He says, You're being earnest, continue to earnestly serve him in full assurance that God is coming. He, Jesus is coming again, and He remembers who you are, and He knows who you are, and He knows what you're doing, so that you may not be, what? Sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. 
I love at the end of that tour the other day, the tour guide, he was really good. He said, John Adams said, and I don't have the quote, basically, the revolution will never end here. You will have to continue it on. The American dream, the idea that we can be a people who uh, give authority to our leaders, that idea will always require a continual revolution. John Adams said that. I think it's interesting. The same thing goes for our kingdom, the kingdom of God. It will always require us stepping forward in acts of service and love to the saints and to our community and to continue not to be sluggish but in full assurance of hope. Know that God is not unjust to overlook our work and to not, for us to not grow weary in doing good. Serving His kingdom is rewarding. But here's the part I really want you to get before I let you go. Serving God is revealing. And here's what I mean by that. If you look in verse uh, 8, it says, But when Simon Peter saw what Jesus did, notice his reaction. He fell down at Jesus' feet and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I mean, he had been fishing. What was he talking about, sin? Why, was he, why did he feel like a sinner? Because he had fished in the wrong place? He had done everything Jesus had just talked about. No, it's through the act of serving Christ and putting himself out and risking for Christ, he was able to come closer and to see who Christ really was. And it is when we take those steps of risk that God can become powerful in our lives and he can, he can reveal to us our deep dependency upon his power and his strength. That's why he made Peter go out in the middle of the day and into and, and a place where he should have never caught fish. He's trying to give Peter, he says, Peter, I'm going to call you to your greatest potential, but you'll never reach that if you're depending on your own flesh and your own strength. You'll only reach that if you learn to depend upon me. And let me demonstrate your need. And, and, and so Peter, by taking the risk, he sees God in a better way. There is growth to happen in your life that I believe only occurs when you're willing to step out of your comfort zone and serve. And in that act, when you take that step out, when you have that gospel conversation, when you love that neighbor, when you choose to take some leadership role, whatever it is God leads you to do, you will be able to see God's strength and power. He will reveal to you your need for Him. He did that for Peter. That's why, you know, it's interesting if you study what Jesus was referred to in this passage, you see a growth happen. In verse 3, it says that Jesus teaches didaskalos. That's, uh, he's an instructor, and I think that's how Peter really saw him to this point. Prior to the boat, maybe even sitting in the boat, he's listening to Jesus as teacher. And maybe for some of you, you're curious about the teachings of Christ and you're learning about this and you're curious about the Bible and for you it's just an interesting teaching but as he was listening to him teach 
And I think it's very interesting that Christ didn't ask him to go out before he heard the word of God. It was after the revelation. After Peter sat there and kind of had to listen to the sermon. He was a captive audience. Maybe some of you are feeling that way this morning. But captive audience. And he listens to the teaching of the word of God. Then he turns and he says, put out your, your, put out your nets. Let's go out and let's go fishing. And notice he uses a, another word. He calls him master in verse 8. Which, uh, no, in, in verse 7 he says, Master, which means supervisor in the Greek. But in verse 8 he says, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Which is a much stronger word. You see, Peter has grown from seeing Jesus as a teacher to seeing Jesus as the owner. That's why he was able to leave everything. And when did this happen? It happened when Peter was willing to obey God and step out and give him his nets and give him his boat and said, Here, here's my life. Here I am. Let me serve your kingdom. And he grew. He grew. So serving his kingdom is revealing our need, our desperate need for him. But I love that it also, this story to me, reveals our need uh, for others. Our need for other people. He starts to catch fish and that boat couldn't handle it, so he calls his partners in. And I think it's interesting that the fish aren't actually in the boat until others join the effort. The fish aren't actually in the boat until the team comes together. Until his cousins and James and John, all those guys came together, they were able to get the fish in the boat. We, we have to work together in the kingdom of God. It revealed his need for others. Think about this. First Peter, I was preaching to you out of this last week. This is the same Peter. Decades later, he understands the value of team. That's why he says in verse 8 of 1 Peter 4, just a quick reminder, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Keep showing hospitality to one another without grumbling. And as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. He's he's still preaching this decades later. He knows this kingdom effort can't be done unless we serve together as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in in order that in everything God may be glorified. And so God has a place for you and a purpose for you. In the revolution that started 200 and something years ago, you had connectors and announcers like Paul Revere. You had rich people like John Hancock who uh, uh, provided so much of the finances. You had stately generals like Washington. You had encouragers and diplomats like Benjamin Franklin. They, They all were just a unique group of people that came together and birthed this great potential we call a nation and the revolution required a team and ours does as well it continues the the kingdom of christ needs all of our giftedness coming together and as we serve it will reveal one more thing as you get connected as you just find areas and ways to serve god's going to reveal some things to you personally personally about who you can be 
in the future. At the end of this story, in verse 9, it says, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish. And so were also James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you're going to be catching men. You see what Jesus has done? He has, he's put a new potential out in front of Peter. And this revelation of who he could become was on the other side of obedient service. It was on the other side of taking the risk. And God says, you know what, Peter? I hope you can see. With me in your boat, and you willing to give me who you are, there's going to be a revolution. And you're going to start catching men. And Jesus is sitting there in his boat. I don't think the crowd has left. I think there's a boat full of fish, and I think some of the crowd that had been there listening to Jesus was still there. And Jesus goes, you see this? This is your potential. You're going to start catching men. I've experienced that in my own life. I didn't know exactly what I was going to be or do. Have y'all had that experience? I just started doing. You know, just started doing. I remember in the youth group, I just started doing some things in youth group. Started doing some things. I went to college and I didn't have anything particularly um, charismatic about me or exciting about me at all. You know, and still don't. I just... They just said, would you do this? And I just kind of did some things, and I went to seminary. I wasn't positive. I could sing some songs, and I thought maybe music. I thought maybe youth. And, but just, just keep moving. And God, as you serve, will open up the doors of your greatest potential in Him. I want that for me. I want that for you. But most of all, I want it for His glory. Let's pray together. With heads bowed, just a moment of reflection, if you would. Some of you have been serving almost your entire life in various capacities, and you're just amen in this because you've seen God just show his power at different points, and you've had ups, and you've had lows, and you've had times where you were serving, and you were weary, and you weren't seeing any fish in the boat. And then you've seen God just do incredible things in your life and you could testify to the truth of this passage and this message today. And some of you have been a little bit like Peter. You've been somewhat fearful to take a step towards service. And maybe today, would you trust Jesus to get in your boat and to have you and your stuff? Would you trust him? Would you trust him as he looks at you and says, let's go deeper. Let's go all in. Would you trust him? He is the power and the one who can do it all. We just need to be willing.
And maybe some of you here today, and you've been listening to Jesus from the shore, from afar, and you want to have a personal relationship with Him. You need to come into a personal walk with Christ. You need to ask for the forgiveness of your sins and ask Him to give you eternal life. You need to come into that saving relationship with Christ. Do that today. Do that right now. As I lead us in a prayer in just a moment, for some it's a prayer of, God, here's my nets, here's my boat. Use me in my life however you see fit. And for some it will be right now today, God, here I am, save me. Forgive me of my sin. Make me one of your children. I will follow you. Father, I just come to you right now, and I just thank you for this, uh, this fellowship of believers. I thank you that there are so many who for so long have served quietly your kingdom in this place. And I pray that we will just continue to, to do that. And I pray for others, God, that maybe you're helping break some of the shackles of fear and doubt, of insignificance. God, that you would let them step forward into saying, God, here I am. Maybe some need to step forward into full-time ministry. Maybe some need to step forward into serving uh, the next generation of our younger people. Maybe there are some who just need to step into a prayer ministry because they're unable to do anything else. They're physically homebound or but they're just going to step into a, a ministry of prayer, intercessory prayer for this church and our world and our community. God, there's no greater ministry. God, help us see what you're calling us to. Help us step in faith. And I pray for those right now who need that personal relationship with you, who have been running from you, or have never trusted you as their Savior and Lord. I pray that right now they'll ask for the forgiveness of their sins, that they'll open up their heart and ask you and receive eternal life. Father, I just thank you for your word that paints this vivid picture of serving you. Help us to serve you. Because it's you, through us, that you want to minister. We don't understand why you want to use us. You could have done it in such an easier way, but you want to use us. So we just surrender. As this song we're hearing in the background says, we just surrender all to you. And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.